So we're winding down our series on the book of Acts. We've been in this series called Acts, The Gospel Goes Viral. If you haven't been paying attention, it's a hybrid of a style of preaching that is called expository. Expository preachers are different from topical preachers, or expository messages are different from topical messages. Topical messages are three ways to survive 2020 God's way, or how to better your marriage in, with Jesus' help, or that sort of stuff. Expository would be looking at the Bible specific passages chronologically going through. And so every once in a while, we want to make sure that we approach a book of the Bible. And I've been really happy to get through the book of Acts with you. We've seen how the gospel advanced around the world after the days of Jesus' death and resurrection. In fact, Acts chapter 1, and we'll share that in a moment, basically tells exactly what happened after his resurrection. So we've been looking to the book of Acts, though, to see how can we today, 2,000 years later, help the gospel go viral. There are several different ways that you can help the gospel go viral. You can support the mission of your church. The mission of your church in this community helps impact communities even in the far-flung reaches of the world. When you give, you are helping the gospel go viral. But a lot of believers, unfortunately, get stuck with, I'm just going to pay the bill for somebody else to do that. But I, I hope that you've garnered the truth from this series that the, the responsibility lays or lies with us that the gospel needs to go viral in your community with the people that you know. In fact, part of our mission and vision for the church is that we would be an impact in our world That means Christine's world is different than Kathy's world, is different than Dan's world. We have a responsibility. You should not just look to me as your pastor to have that responsibility, but in fact, all believers do. So we can have the same thing happen even today in 2020. I really believe that we are all carriers of the gospel, or we should be. Amen? We should be carriers of the gospel. The importance of this message, the gospel message, is so important and it's so powerful even today. Today the title of my message is this, because of the resurrection. We find Paul talking about the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. We're going to look at several passages outside of the book of Acts today that Jesus actually, when he's approached at the empty tomb, Mary believes him to be the gardener and says, where, if you've taken him, where have you put him? And then she realizes it's Jesus in the flesh. This is not a spirit hovering around. It's not a ghost. He had physical flesh. In fact, he warned her and said, don't hold on to me. Don't hug me right now. I've not ascended yet to the Father. He's, he's giving us something very valid that we should think about. You say, well, what is the importance of the resurrection for me in my life today? It's everything. I'm going to say something that might sound a little bold, but it's the truth. The cross means nothing without the empty tomb. It's the truth. 
So what? Someone died for me so I didn't have to get punished. The fact is, Jesus is not dead, but he is risen. And because he lives, I love that old song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. What, is, what does that old song mean? It means I have hope, not just for a future, but for the here and now. I think too many of us view the resurrection of Jesus as just a, a nice, happy ending to the story. Um, we think, yeah, this just wraps it up. It's like a great movie with a good ending at the end. But the reality is the resurrection isn't just what happens next after Jesus' death. It doesn't just wrap up the story. It fulfills thousands of years of prophecy of God working in humanity to redeem them and win them back to himself. There is really no story worth sharing in the gospel without the resurrection. So it's not just a matter of chronological events that we look at, but it's more than that. In fact, without the resurrection, we have nothing and are nothing. The resurrection saves us. I want you to think in different terms. And you say, hold on a second. It's not Easter, Pastor. Don't you do one of these per year? No, we do as many as we need to. And as the Lord leads us through this book, we find something significant that Paul is actually going on trial. He goes before four different leadership groups and or governmental agencies. He goes before two governors the third of, and a third one before he goes to the final place, which is the emperor in Rome. Before that, he goes before a Jewish council. And all of that, in Paul's words, is because I am preaching about the physical resurrection of the man who is called God's son. This is really, really good news. In Acts chapter 23, verse 6, Paul says it like this when he is before one of these groups of people. He says, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection, at the bottom of that verse, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. So we believe in the resurrection. I like that song that we sing too every once in a while. Um, I think it's called The Creed. We believe in God the Father. We believe it's Christian theology helping to be solidified in my heart. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe God created the world. No big bang. I believe that God did this and God did that. I believe that Jesus did this and that Jesus did that. I believe that the Spirit does this. It's theology in a song. The understanding is that Jesus died, but he rose again. And because he rose, we have hope. And how dare you hold on to that hope without sharing it with others? Jesus, historically, it's an event that's shown in history, lived. He died and he was resurrected. You say, well, pastor, there's just a couple people that witnessed and, and that know that. No, there are hundreds there are hundreds of people that witness Jesus. Jesus wasn't here for four days or four hours or four minutes after he rose from the dead. The Bible tells us he was alive on the earth, walking around, eating and sleeping and speaking for 40 days after he rose from the dead. Jesus said 
in John chapter 5, verse 29, that all people will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected to eternal life and others resurrected to eternal condemnation. So today I want to show you why we believe the resurrection of Jesus is not just a fairy tale or a good ending to a story, but how it really truly can be and is the cornerstone of this gospel that we preach. I, I don't know about you. I don't know a whole lot about architecture. I know how to fix something or patch drywall and paint a wall that's already there, but I don't know how to build a building. I will tell you this, though. From what I understand, you need to be able to set the foundation correctly and in the old day, in order so that it doesn't uh, fall, but so that it stands the test of time. In the old days and even still today, you can see something called the capstone or the cornerstone. Once they've leveled out the area, they've put the major basis for the foundation in one side and then start to build out from there. Jesus' resurrection is that to your salvation. Jesus raised several people from the dead during his earthly ministry. I want to talk about some of, some of what goes on with that. But I want to tell you something even more that should excite you. Can I see a smile this morning? It should excite you. The fact is, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Bible says, now lives inside of you. Amen? And... There are other people who are raised from the dead in Scripture that were raised from the dead not by Jesus. It's an interesting sort of detail to look through. There are some in the Old Testament, and there are some even after Jesus' death and resurrection and leaving the planet. In fact, I was thinking about preaching the message about Paul in Acts chapter 20, where he is preaching so long, he was a long-winded guy. <clears throat> Somebody say, praise God. Praise God, my pastor's not like that. Anyway, he was long-winded. They were on the third floor of a building. In those days, not full walls and things like that. There was a little railing. There's a young man. I can't even say his name correctly. I looked up several pronunciations. Eutychus, Eutychus, whatever you want to, whatever. And he actually falls asleep in church and dies. I'm looking at my daughter. <laughs> he, he fell asleep in church because Paul wouldn't, he just kept going and going and going. And he leaned back in his chair and fell off the third floor of the building down to the floor below. Paul probably finished his third point and said, hold on a second, I'll be right back. Paul went down and raised that young man to life again. This is after Jesus is gone. The same power that raised the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that power now lives inside of you and I. But one of the most prominent or well-known stories about Jesus resurrecting someone from the dead is his friend. Can anybody shout out his name? Lazarus. We are probably familiar with the story, but I want you to go with me to John chapter 11. The reason for us to talk about this is important because Jesus is already exercising resurrection power before he has himself resurrected. So it says in verse 23 that Jesus said to her, her being Martha, 
She was really upset. Both of these sisters, Mary and Martha, were upset. Jesus, had you been here, he wouldn't have even died. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said to him, look at this quote. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she had understood from the Old Testament throughout the prophets all of the understanding that yes, there was going to come a day when sure he would be reunited with the God he loved and who loved him. But Jesus then declares himself to be this resurrection. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then he asks her a question. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Jesus then goes to Lazarus' tomb and he raised him from the dead. He had been dead for four days. And if you read that whole story or remember this detail... The sisters are like, whoa, Jesus, I don't think you should roll that stone away. He's going to really stink. It's four days. It's been hot out. (laughs) Like, this is not okay. And Jesus calls his friend, and he comes out of the grave. It's because of this act, the Bible says, if you continue reading the story of Lazarus, at the end of that story, it says there were many people that then believed, but then others were upset and angry. And it's from that moment, from the moment he resurrected someone from the dead, that they said, we've got to get this guy. We've got to take him down. So Jesus declared himself to be the resurrection. But the resurrection was a part of the early church's preaching. It was a part of the message that they had made sure to share as the apostles went about preaching. If you go with me to Acts chapter 4, we read this earlier in our series. Verse 1, it says this, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. It says they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I learned this, and this might help you. When you're reading through the New Testament, and you see these two groups of Jewish people, some of you might be remembering this from Sunday school, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They absolutely, they started to understand that. They believed people could be resurrected from before. And let me just clarify. Not all Pharisees believed that Jesus himself resurrected, but they knew that the power existed. They had been students of the word. They had seen what had happened in the prophets. They knew that it was possible. But the Sadducees did not believe that this was ever a possibility. And so my Sunday school teacher, and maybe yours, taught me the difference. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Historically speaking, Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. So the resurrection really did happen. 
And it's not just an event that happened a long time ago that means nothing to us today. It holds utmost significance. The Bible says after his bodily resurrection that he appeared to Mary, then appeared to his disciples, and then appeared to more than 500 people over the course of those 40 days that he was still alive here on the earth. Acts chapter 1, go there with me. In verse chapter 1, and you say, Pastor, are you starting over again? In no, no, but I, I just want to show you the point of what's going on here. In this book, Luke is writing, and it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, this is the person he wrote to, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3 says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine these disciples back, they, they were a, a, a special group of people. They're thinking, yes, he rose from the dead. Now the kingdom of God, we're going to take over these Romans and get rid of them. Finally, it's going to, and then Jesus is leaving again. What? But he, he did so through many proofs of his resurrection And because of Jesus' resurrection, you and I have the ability to be saved. In Romans chapter 4, I want you to go there with me. There's a lot of ground to cover this morning, so I apologize if it seems I'm over-caffeinated. Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it says this, in talking about Abraham, it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words counted to him as righteousness were not written for his sake alone. But for our sake also. Listen to what it says in verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the whole package, the complete deal. I've been challenged myself in the preparation of this message that when I talk about God's love and his forgiveness, and the ability to be with him in eternity with others, that I should not just glaze over the resurrection, that I should not only speak of the cross that bore my shame, but that I should speak about the fact that I have been justified because of the finality of Jesus conquering all enemies. The greatest enemy of us as humans is death in a natural sense. It's the end-all, be-all. But God himself caused Jesus to be victorious over even death. So the resurrection of Jesus demonstrates that Jesus defeated even death. There is not an enemy or a foe that God will ever 
submit to. I want you to think about that. Our God is a winner. And if you're on his team, you're on the winning team. You say, well, pastor, I lost my job. Pastor, she got diagnosed with cancer. Pastor, he did this or they did. There is not an enemy or a foe that God will submit himself to because he is a victor beyond all things. We may not see the victory and experience the victory exactly as we wish to or hoped, but the way I think about it is simply like a child. You have shelter, you have love, you have food, you have provision. You may not have everything you want, but you have what you need, bless God. God treats us as his kids. We don't always, (laughs) my kids could sing it. You can't always get what you want. Y'all should teach your kids and grandkids that song. It's really good. Okay. Um, Or just that line. I don't actually know about the rest of the song. (laughs) But he was saying without the resurrection that we are lost. Essentially, we need to understand this from Paul, from his speaking to the church all throughout his ministry. He connects the resurrection to our justification. He's not saying that you're half saved by the cross and half saved by the empty tomb. He's saying without the resurrection, we are lost. If we don't have a resurrected Savior, we cannot stand before God as his children. Paul wrote to the, first, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to read that to you and share this. Paul is delivering this message to the church at Corinth, and he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is garbage, it's worthless, and you're still locked or chained in your sins. Verse 18 says, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, those who followed him and have now died are died, are dead and gone forever. They've perished without any sort of hope. But verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is not a religion worth following if it doesn't include a resurrection. If Jesus only died, your sin debt would remain unpaid and we would remain under sin's dominion. This is factual according to scripture. If there was no resurrection for Jesus, then there can be no resurrection for you or for I. The blood of Jesus saves us because he is now alive. You say, Pastor, this sounds elementary. It is, and we don't share it often enough. We don't share this hope with those around us enough. But when we do share the message of God's love and his forgiveness, we must share with them the hope that they can be in eternity in God's presence forever. And you've got to understand the entirety of scripture can be summed up in very simple ways. God designed creation and us as his creatures to live and be in his presence. We were in a garden. Everything was great. And then sin came in. He's worked throughout history, throughout many different ways in order to get to the place where he could send Jesus, his son, to be our savior. When that happened, he then built a bridge to bring us back to what his original purpose was. Time. 
spent with us, relationship spent with us in eternity. The raising of Jesus from death is significant because death is significant. How many of you have lost someone that you love? We all have. Sin births death. Death is a consequence of sin. Now, hear me and understand this very clearly. I'm not saying that because someone sinned, they died early or before their time. Don't, don't get it twisted. What I'm saying is death, the end of life here on the earth, the only way it got here was sin. Adam was told this as far back as Genesis chapter 2. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you'll surely die. And the serpent used that in that moment. He was, he was helping to deceive them and say, you, sure, you, you won't die, die. God's, God's love for humanity is so great that he sent his son to call us back to life. And God is life, so turning from him is fatal. This is the gospel's message. This is the warning that God is light and life. And if we turn from him, death comes. Death is what sin chooses and what it receives and what it deserves. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, sin both earns death and it births death. Death, when we think about it, really is one of the most normal things in this world. I can 100% guarantee that every one of us will stop living here on the earth at some point. It's, it's bound to happen. It's going to happen. Death is finite and it's final. It ends. We can't seem to reconcile, though, ourselves to that reality that death never feels right. Think back to the funeral you attended or the person that you lost. Death never feels natural. And there's a reason for that. So we do, as humans, put huge effort into living as though it's not going to happen. You ever met a young person who's a little bit of a risk taker and, ah, no, can't get me, everything's great, nothing to worry about. Death comes for all of us. But our unease with death indicates that we probably know more than we realize. Death, like sin, doesn't belong here. You say, Pastor, this is such an encouraging message talking about death. It's something we weren't meant to experience, though. That's the hope that we can have in our hearts, knowing that even though sin leads to death, the existence of death proves the reality of sin. And the existence of a resurrection proves the reality of redemption and salvation. Understanding this, the significance of death helps us start to see the significance of the resurrection. Raising Jesus from the dead was not God's greatest magic trick. You say, Pastor, don't talk like that. That's too casual. That's how we treat it, though, sometimes, was that it was just a mega miracle. 
his son back from the dead, bigger and better than ever before. The resurrection, though, had meaning to those first believers, so much so that they were willing to give their life for the sake of this gospel that we preach, that we listen to every week, that you may hear on a podcast throughout the week, that you're encouraged with. There are people, even today, I read this week, that there's tragedy all throughout the world, that Christians are still being persecuted. A church was blown up, people in their cars in the parking lot, murdered simply because they were Christians. We need to understand that the resurrection had meaning to those people and it should have meaning to us as well. That God's not dead, amen? That he is alive. The resurrection is proof of our salvation. It's the outworking and proof of our salvation because death is the outworking and proof of our sin. Jesus' new life shows us that the cycle of sin and death has finally been broken. How many of you have ever watched the Chronicles of Narnia? I love, love the scene in the newest one back in the 2000s, the early 2000s that came out where Aslan is going to the stone table. It's a grotesque scene where the witch is, she's got all of her minions, uh, not the kind of cute yellow ones, but her, her various um, disfigured creatures that are with her. And as she is bringing him to be sacrificed on the stone table, she's understood the inscription for the deep magic that's there, that she would be the victor if this happens. And there's this powerful moment where all of them are kind of attacking Aslan, the lion. And then in this one moment before the sacrifice, she decides that she's going to do one more thing to take his dignity and to shave his mane. They drag him, they tie him, they drag him up there, and then he's dead. The children from the Chronicles of Narnia, some of them are watching this and what happens. And then they're grieved at the fact that he is laying there lifeless, apparently. But then he rises from the dead. It's this powerful image that although the enemy thought he could gain victory through this, that Aslan, or in our case, as we look at that allegory, Jesus Christ really truly proved to be the final victor. It was a momentary thing where the enemy thought he was winning. But truly, there's new life in the end to be had. Sin and death have been conquered. So the resurrection proves that our sins have been fully dealt with. This is why it's so important for us to understand all about the resurrection. It is the, the ability for God to have brought us to fulfillment. Every word he's ever spoken. Here's what I really am getting at today. Our God is not just a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. You should hold on to that not just in the midst of your salvation and your spiritual walk, but the prayers that you pray for your children, the struggles that you go through in this life to have the hope knowing that Jesus Christ is always the victor. So by dying and rising from the dead, Jesus sealed the deal. He closed the deal 
And we're able to walk in salvation and redemption. If you're interested in more details about what it really will look like, you can go to 1 Corinthians 15 and read that chapter this week. Paul lays out an incredible argument in order to help them understand what the resurrection really should look like for us and why we should celebrate it. I want to read just two short passages from 1 Corinthians 15. It says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Listen closely to the theology that's here. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I want you to understand, this is not saying that the world universally will be saved. It is the, it's very important you understand the way it's written. Because of Adam, all will suffer death. But those who choose Christ will be made alive. Each in his own order, verse 23 says, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Other versions say every ruler and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected, accepted, sorry, who put all things in subjection under him. Verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. You should read through the entire chapter. It's a powerful um, treatise or a powerful argument about the resurrection. The physical resurrection of Jesus means the physical resurrection of you and I. Wait a second, pastor. Are you saying I'm going to have this body in heaven? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and you'll find the answer. But I'm going to read one more passage in 1 Corinthians 15 as we start to wrap up. Verse 45 says this, Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam. So I want you to understand what they're saying when they say the last Adam. The last Adam being Christ became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Christ. What a powerful thought. Worship team, you can come and join me. 
As we wrap up this series on the book of Acts and we've talked about the resurrection, I'd encourage you to finish reading through the book of Acts if you started that journey. Read about the details of how Paul was taken to Jerusalem and then taken to Rome and how he had to speak in front of all of those government people and the religious leaders as well. What the Lord did for him in getting the message out that he was in prison for a few years there before being released and then put back in prison. And you can read all the details of what God did in the life of Paul and what that meant for the world that you and I now live in. I wondered as I read through the details of that, what trials and hardships are we going through that we can share this hope with others about? That God saved me. He rescued me from fill in the blank. And I can share that hope with others. Paul's personal life, his testimony is important to us. But your testimony in your life is important to those around you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writing to the church there, he says, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed. That's the point of this message series. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. We're not talking about those who are asleep, like taking a nap. When they say asleep, they're talking about dead. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 18 says, therefore encourage one another with these words. I want to encourage you today that we have a blessed hope. Jesus is not dead. I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, and I hope that they find the true reality. Jesus is not still on the cross. There's no reason to have a crucifix. I don't pray to that. I pray to a living God who sent his son, who rose from the dead, walked on this earth, and now lives in heaven, and he's waiting on me. So because of that, I have hope, and that hope should be shared with others. The Bible says that we will rise too. When we share this message of Jesus' love, we can never, we can never forget to mention and to talk about the resurrection and how it applies to our lives. That the resurrection truly has redeemed all. That death is dead. It's swallowed up in victory. Amen? We truly don't want anyone to perish. Anyone to die. Neither did Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 16 that we probably all could recite by heart, know by heart. He came so that none would perish, but that all could have everlasting life. But it is a choice. I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity today to accept that offer that he gives of everlasting life. So I'd ask you if you would just close your eyes for a brief moment. I want to give you this opportunity today. Maybe all of us are saved, but maybe there are some who aren't. And I want to make sure that you understand that Jesus loves you. He lived, died, and rose 
all to give you eternal life. And if you say, Pastor, that's me, I'd like to pray with someone today. I just want you to lift up your hands while everybody's got their eyes closed and just signify to me that you want prayer. If there's anyone like that today. You know, we as believers have a responsibility to make this gospel go viral. I'm not sure what exactly in the message applies the most to each individual here and the understanding of what Jesus did in the resurrection, what you need to take away from this message. But I do know my heart has been heavy this week for our church and for people in our church. So I'd like to take just this last moment before the worship team sings their last song. And I'd like to ask you with eyes still closed, if you say, pastor, I have a need in my life, whatever it is, just raise your hand. Lift your hand and signify to the Lord you have a need. Whatever it is, it could be provision, wisdom, relationship issues, work. Father, we are a church that's in need of you. I pray that you would help us today to see the resurrection for what it is, the hope that we have. That there is nothing too big for our God. That you are stronger than any enemy and bigger than any foe or any challenge that we would face. God, I pray that you would encourage the people of Celebrate Church today to fully trust in you in the midst of what they're facing, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Stay standing and let's worship in this last song as we commit ourselves to the Lord.